What is up? You are listening to American Babylon live on tape. It's good to be back podcasting with you. This is a conversation with the one and only Armand Abaram of Now This Election. Now This is an online video company, online media. They have a huge viewership, big impact on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. They actually did a video which put together a bunch of clips of the uh, attack on me at the Trump rally in March. And that got millions of views, and that was one of the big drivers of, like, exposure of that whole event. Met Armand at the convention in Cleveland. He was there. I was there. Jimmy was there. We all talked. He's a great guy. And we finally caught up to talk about media and Hillary and WikiLeaks and Bernie and all kinds of fun stuff. Forgive the nastiness of the audio in certain spots here. It will improve. Thank you, Armand. Check out Now This Election. Armand actually did an interview with Bernie Sanders a couple weeks ago, and they've been releasing snippets of that. Great stuff. Fascinating interview. This show is brought to you by that guy from Texas that called my phone right after the uh, Trump rally, and he said, You got beat, bitch. Thank you, sir. We'll always have that moment. Please, won't you join us this upcoming Tuesday, election night, November 8th, at the Tap and Bottle on 6th Avenue for Nasty Women versus Bad Hombres, election night hosted by American Babylon. We have lots of fun stuff planned. Going to be a blast. We will be drinking and celebrating the demise of Donald Trump and generally making fun of everything, anything, anyone, and why not. Join us, won't you? It's going to be a lot of fun. I've already said that. Anyway, let's get right into it. You long-form junkies are going to love this one. It's about 45 minutes. Lots more of these podcasts planned and in progress, including Dan Cannon, a lawyer from Kentucky, really interesting guy. He's fabulous. He's one of the people that brought you gay marriage in America and has been suing Trump on behalf of four of the people, no, three of the people that were beat up in Kentucky way back in March uh, by by Donald Trump supporters at his rally. Also got a show with Bill Reisner in the works and one with Jordan Cheriton from Young Turks. Be on the lookout for all of that. It is AmericanBabylon.net. It's happening now and we're now chasing. See you soon. Love, peace, Here's the show. Okay, cool. <clears throat> so we're recording. Uh, hey, what's up? This is Brian, and you're watching American Babylon. This is a new series of things we're doing here, trying to talk to people that have been involved with this ridiculous campaign in one way or another. Journalists, um, mainly journalists, I find journalists to be inherently fascinating. Activists, the occasional politician, maybe. You're looking at the shockingly, devilishly handsome face of Armand Abram. <laughs> Did I pronounce your name correctly, by the way? Yeah, it's actually really good. Really? Yeah. Okay, all right. I like that. Um, and Armand works for Now This Election. Do you do you work specifically for Now This Election? Or just well, Now yeah, This? I or- mean- I mean, the company is now this, but obviously we have separate channels. So there's a separate politics channel that I, I work for. I have done a couple videos here and there for other channels, but mainly just politics. 
you guys have a lot going on over there and it must it must be inherently thrilling to you know post a video and see like pretty quickly it gets to a couple hundred thousand views and stuff like that do you yeah. become jaded to that at all um that's a good question i mean i definitely remember when i first got to the company my first million plus views on a video which was a fact check that i did for one of the first republican debates and I remember getting my first video that had reached a million views and thinking, holy shit, that's amazing. And then just a few weeks later, I was doing videos that got 5, 10, 15 million views. Um, but nowadays, you know, I'll, I'll work on a video for an entire day and then it'll get like 50,000. And it's just, you don't know what's going to pop. You don't know what people are going to want to watch. I mean, the video that I did about you being attacked at a Trump rally is a good example. I mean, I didn't necessarily know that that video was going to get 5 million views. And... Sometimes it's something small, like I think in particular that video I did about you, it was actually your presence in that video that I think really drew a lot of people in because there was an interview that you did a after being attacked where I think you were very like kind of funny and whimsical with your approach to what had just happened to you. Instead of really like going into a dark place, you were looking at it like, this is fucking crazy. And I think people watched the interview with you and really related to that. And that could have been the reason that they were sharing that video. So you just never know why a certain video pops rather than another one doesn't. It is. It's really fucking hard to say what's going to happen or what's going to work. That So that night after uh, getting attacked, to be quite honest, like I knew it was going to have some kind of impact on the election. And I thought it would be like something, but I really wasn't sitting there that night in the hospital going like, wow, this is going to be like a life changing experience. I was very much, I was very naive about that. And, you know, within a few days, it totally had changed my life. And interestingly, like we kind of come at this in a similar way. I mean, you got, so my audience basically knows my story, got beat up by a guy at the Trump store, at the Trump rally in Tucson uh, did interviews, went on CNN, because a lot of people at that time were getting beat up at Trump rallies, but most of them wouldn't talk. And most right. of them weren't interested in like engaging with the media. I immediately came out of the Tucson Convention Center and said, where the fuck is the media? Because right. I, I kind of had an idea about how that would work. And it totally did work. So most people in my audience know that story. You mm -hmm. come at now this in a kind of interesting way too. Give us that background. Like you're wandering around destitute, uh, you're like looking for like a place to crash and then somebody goes hey George Soros wants to pay you to fuck up Trump's trajectory here is that uh, accurate no, no uh, my life has been pretty interesting the past couple of years I was a uh, musician and I went to NYU uh, for music composition and I was in the band for a while and I was a music teacher for maybe six or seven years at different private schools and teaching privately um, and about two years ago, I just decided that trying to make a career out of being a musician, at least in New York, was just not something I wanted to do anymore. And I didn't really know what to do with my time. And my parents were really uh, kind enough, and I'm so appreciative that they they said, like, we'll, we'll help you go back to school um, and help you pay for it and get your MBA. And the only reason I chose to get an MBA was because I just it seemed like such a generic degree. I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and one of my professors at school at Fordham was the president of Now This. And after I took his class, a few months after that, I emailed him and I said, hey, I saw you guys uh, just launched a politics channel. Uh, you may not know this, but I'm actually very active in volunteering for the Bernie Sanders campaign and I've always loved politics. Is there any way I could come in for an interview? 
And he said, sure, because, you know, I, I liked him. I did really well in his class. He was, he was a social media professor. So they brought me in. And now this was, I think, the only organization that had gone to Vermont to do videos with Bernie, right as his campaign was like about to explode. And so the politics channel at Now This really exploded at the same exact time that Bernie's campaign exploded. Simultaneously, I think they benefited off each other. And I think they really wanted to hire someone who could maybe tap into whatever Bernie Sanders was tapping into. And knowing that I was really on the ground and knew what was going on, I think was very uh, appealing to them, even though I really had no experience cutting or editing video or being a journalist. I did not study political science. I have no degree in journalism. Uh, my uh, just outlook on journalism has always been, you know, a few journalists that I've always loved even though I had no interest or thought I'd ever be in the field itself. Here you are. Yeah. That happened like nine months ago or some shit. Like this all happened to you in this year, right? About just exactly a year ago. Wow. Life is weird. It's crazy. crazy. (laughs) So you're like directly and and intimately tied to Bernie's hip. You will always be, you will always be a Bernie bro. Well, you know what? I push back on that because I don't think it's unique to me at all. And I think people that really were at, you know, a part of the campaign in some way from the beginning understand the impact that his campaign had on on not just me, millions, millions and millions and millions of people in this country who I think were kind of dormant, like philosophically, who had maybe you know, really always had an interest in thinking differently or thinking that this country could be something that it's not. And he really opened the floodgates for people to realize that we are so much more. We can be so much more than we are now as a country and as a people and as human beings on the planet. And I've seen friends of mine that have been so moved by his campaign that they are now full-time activists and do this for a living and now have dedicated their lives to activism, you know, just because of him, because he started his campaign and he sparked an entire generation of young people to care deeply about where this country goes. It's really interesting to talk to you about this because I came at this the exact same or the exact opposite way. I mean, I've been like anti-Trump, not like pro anything. I've been like fighting Trump's presence and all that stuff and we won't even go into it. But I'm like very much anti. I'm not for anything in this you know it's kind of a weird position to be in like i think i am pro constitution i guess like i'm not even really like pro america or rah 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 about that kind of stuff but like i do believe in the in the constitution i do believe in free speech those things are like very much like a negative for trump and i i have been fighting trump not necessarily fighting for something so it's really interesting to hear about people that you know, came at it from kind of an idealistic perspective of like, holy shit, this, this old man is really speaking to me. And Mm -hmm. there's no doubt that when you see Bernie speak, he's really good at the poetry of Mm -hmm. public speaking. You know, he hits all those notes and, um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about like, what's your perspective on it was stolen from Bernie as a theme? You know, I think, you know, stolen is probably too extreme of a word for me, but I do believe that, you know, how, depending on how you want to frame the Democratic primary, there was no possible way that any candidate was going to get that nomination except for Hillary Clinton. And you can attribute that to a variety of reasons, the way they scheduled the debates, 
the way that they d didn't, you know, allow other voices. You know, every single sen Democratic senator except for one endorsed her. I mean, Bernie Sanders only got the endorsement of one senator. So, I mean, if you see that the, the entire establishment has rallied around one candidate, is that not somewhat of a rigging of an election? It's, you know, we're just parsing words here, but obviously there was no possible way that anyone was going to get that nomination except for her. Right. And I, there is a lot of parsing of words there. I mean, in the end, he did get like three, three and a half, whatever million fewer votes. 13, thir thir oh, oh. 13 million. He got 13 million total. Yeah. And, you know, those are impressive numbers. You, you couldn't have gotten someone to bet on that before he started. The whole thing is like unbelievably improbable and kind of beautiful in a way. My perspective on it is like, sure, you know, um, it's rigged in a whole bunch of senses that you can kind of point to and, and they're shadowy, but in the end, like Bernie's, Bernie's impact is huge. And I, I, I've been impressed by Bernie going around lately and saying like, you're missing the point. The point is not to win this election. Sure. It would have been nice, but a movement is not made by one election. It's not, you, you don't change things like the impact of pharmaceutical companies on the U S uh, 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 economy and on people's everyday lives just in one election. Like, I think a lot of people uh, on the left who have been really cynical about Hillary don't see any chance for influencing Hillary um, going forward and kind of getting her out of her political comfort zone. But it seems to me that you and Jordan Sheridan and Sank and people like you guys mm -hmm. um, are doing exactly that. And that's the point is that you put pressure on John Podesta and Donna Brazil um, and the people around Hillary and hopefully Hillary herself so that she does act differently than she might be expected to in a vacuum of her own choosing. Yeah. And I think that was one of the themes of my recent interview with Bernie that I did last week. Um, and there's still a couple more clips that have yet to come out. Um, I think my objective there was really to just remind his supporters that he's still there and he still needs us. And this movement is just beginning. Like the fight has not even begun yet. Um, so to feel discouraged and to just kind of like go back into your hole would be playing into the hands of the people that want you to do that. So um, I really wanted to get the message across um, from him and from the interview that I did with him that everyone has to stay focused because I think there's the struggle, as he says, the struggle continues and there's going to be a lot that we're going to have to protest. And just to get back to your point about being anti something and not pro something, I definitely understand that point of view. I just think it's a lot more optimistic to be pro something. I think that's what gets me out of bed rather than just being anti something. And the truth is, is that hopefully Trump will go away one day and you're not gonna have that anti-Trump thing anymore because he's not gonna be around. So I think it's better use of our time and energy to focus on moving forward rather than just you know, being anti-Trump. And I think being anti-Trump is a huge part of the equation. There's a lot to be anti there, but I don't want it to distract everyone. And especially in the journalism field, what I think what Jordan and I have struggled with is how the media has portrayed this election um, is just being so constantly distracted by every crazy thing that, uh, you know, he says when you have a candidate, you know, based on her track record is uh, has a very troubling way of governing and, and operating as a politician that we have to be really hyper aware of, especially if she's going to become our president, because you know, uh, there's a lot to be concerned about. So, and I think Trump sucks the energy out of so many people that they don't have the energy 
to maybe look at her with a critical eye because they're spending all of their time being anti-Trump. Let's look at her with a critical eye. So again, today, um, another revelation, bombshell, October surprise, James Comey comes out and says, oh, through an unrelated case, we have now come in possession of some emails that, that are, according to Comey, pertinent to our earlier investigation of Hillary. Jason yeah. Chaffetz seized on this and started tweeting about it right away. Predictably, it is being mentioned on NPR uh, every 20 minutes. So I'm assuming this is going to be a huge story. Yeah. What? Uh, so, okay, let's not even speculate about what could be in these fucking emails, because I'm sure it's something kind of semi-salacious, uh, but not really like endlessly damning in the sense that it's not like a Watergate situation for me. She's not just going to drop 20 points because of whatever's revealed. Could be wrong about that. But it, it is interesting to see people who went to great lengths to discredit Comey now turn around and say, look, Comey's saying X, Y, and Z. Isn't this another symptom of like how fucked up we are? Like nobody has a basis for saying that anything is authoritative because they immediately will try to destroy that authority the next day when it says something they don't like. Right. right. We're in a really bizarre circumstance where we don't have the same facts and we're not interested in calibrating. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how this is going to play out. Obviously, it just happened. Um, I like just to, to take a step back from the situation and just kind of look at the fact that our Democratic candidate not only was investigated by the FBI for whatever reason, but is now being reinvestigated by the FBI. And I just my stance about this the entire time is that I don't know if she's guilty. I don't know uh, exactly what's going to happen. I just know that my own standards would require a Democratic candidate who is not being investigated by the FBI. I just think we can do better than that. Um, I don't buy into that. Everything that's wrong with Hillary Clinton is has been a part of a right wing conspiracy smear campaign against her. I think at some point her supporters have to let her take responsibility for her own you know, behavior, however reckless it has been, whether it's been illegal or criminal or not. Um, you know, just, this has not been a candidate that I can personally support. Um, not to say that if I lived in a swing state, I wouldn't vote for her. But uh, I just think that we should, should uh, demand better of our representatives um, and someone who is being formally investigated now reinvestigated by the FBI does not meet my personal standard. So I don't really get into the minutia of like, you know, why he's reinvestigating and what it means, and what's in the emails. That's all out of our hands and there's no way to know what's in them or whatever. And I've, I've always backed away from that story because unless there's one decision of one way or not, I, you know, I have no stake in that. Um, it's just the mere fact that she's been investigated by the FBI that it's just like, can't we get something other than this? Like, this is just kind of shitty. It is kind of shitty. And it's more Clinton uh, behavior where, you, you know, as somebody who doesn't necessarily, I didn't get into this to support Hillary. I have found myself kind of swept up in the tide of, I think she's evolving. I think she's becoming a better candidate, probably because of Bernie. Um, right. and, and because of Elizabeth Warren's kind of presence in her sphere. Mm-hmm. And, the simple truth about Hillary is there's these weird shadows in her life that she's not willing to shine light on. And you just kind of look at her and you go, well, once you shine the light, because sh- light does get shown on her, 
And you kind of go, it's not that bad, Hillary. Why don't you just be a human being with all your fucking flaws, do a press conference every once in a while. You wouldn't have your press corps constantly sniping at your heels so much because they would actually be able to talk to you. Um, so yeah. I think they have like a deep irrational fear of the media and of like dealing with people who are pretty sympathetic to their message. And let's face it, most people I know in the media, quote unquote, are anti-Trump and are pro-Hillary for that default reason, if for no other reason, right? So right. I, I don't, I don't quite understand like their insistence on there can never be a light shown on Hillary unless everything is manicured down to the the the, the millimeter. Well, I would say, you know, why do they feel that way? I mean, why are they so resistant to shine a light? And I think it's because, you know, if you look beneath the surface and you kind of pull back the curtain a little bit with how she operates and who she takes her money from and who she associates with and the fundraisers that she has with, you know, fracking people or oil and gas people. And it's like, they don't want to shine a light for a reason. You know, it, it, this is not a personality contest for me. I have nothing. It's not like I hate who she is as a person. No, I'm right. worried. I'm worried about what she's going to be like as a president, right. uh, especially now being in the journalism field. I want to feel like, um, you know, there is a real freedom of the press and freedom of speech in this country. And, you know, her stance on Edward Snowden and civil liberties has really not been that great. She voted for the Patriot Act. She voted for the Iraq war. So there's just a lot to be concerned with, and I could never really understand why people decided to choose voting for her over Bernie Sanders during the primary when we obviously had a choice to support someone who didn't have all this baggage and really had the right message and really at the end of the day really just wants to help the average American. Um, and she just – you know, maybe she will be you know, a, you know, an OK president here and there. She'll pass some things that are, are progressive. But if that happens, it won't be because of she, because she believes in those things. It's be, it'll be because the progressive movement and Bernie Sanders himself will push her and force her to do it. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, in the end, Hillary is a corporatist. She's been on the board of Walmart for damn near 30 years. I don't know if she's still currently on the board of Walmart. No, it was only about seven or eight years, I think. Right, but she... She doesn't have a history of, you know, outside of like very small, particular focused issues, which are important in the grander scheme and blah, blah, blah. And she passed chips and all this stuff is really fun about her background. I think she's going to be a good um, executive. I'm not I'm very deeply concerned about her policy choices. And there's no doubt that she might start a fucking war at any time uh, yeah. after getting into office. And that is incredibly disturbing. I give her a pass on the Patriot Act and on the Iraq war. Because every sniveling Washington politician was sitting there going, we got to bomb somebody. It's hard now to look at it and kind of indict people for those choices for me personally, even though I at the time had no truck with it. And I knew plenty of libertarians who I stopped talking to because they were telling me, oh, something has got to change. Mm -hmm. So I do kind of like I get it as far as that particular time in history. Barack Obama used to say that he was he was for a traditional sense of marriage until he wasn't. They are basically full of shit. Yeah. The deeply disturbing part is that she won't fire John Podesta. I don't understand why, and not just, I'm singling him out personally because he's representative of people within these circles that don't seem to accomplish much except for creating controversies, um, giving bad advice, 
kind of looking like assholes when they do get to talk to CNN. Podesta doesn't strike me as a brilliant dude. No. Um, I do. I will say, like, I, I don't think I think it's very tricky for journalists with these emails. Let's get into WikiLeaks. Mm-hmm. With the emails that are being released by by the WikiLeaks uh, revelations in the last few weeks that Jordan has been a goddamn supernova on yeah. and is just over there killing and slaughtering, it's really fun to watch him do that. And yeah. really important work, by the way. Even though I don't agree with the interpretation sometimes, the, the, the work is unbelievably important and vital to her having a decent shot at, at having a good presidency that gets something done. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she, so the, the emails to me are very tricky for journalists. <coughs> Podesta, if he's just talking about how, you know, he thinks Chelsea Clinton is a spoiled brat, is that reportable? Yeah, sure, and, and they're going to report it. But if Podesta is talking about policy, obviously it's reportable. I think it gets really tricky to kind of decide which is which here. Yeah, and I think that's a conversation that needs to be had. Um, there's a great, great interview that Glenn Greenwald did with Naomi Klein that is now on The Intercept. It's on SoundCloud. I think it's about a 30-minute conversation that the two of them have about these WikiLeaks uh, in particular and Julian Assange's role in this whole thing. And, you know, I really haven't made up my mind on this. Um, I just have been looking at the content. Uh, I've been following Jordan, as you said, who I think has been doing – an incredible job, probably the only person in the media who's like taking this issue seriously and then trying to inform the public. And I don't think he, you know, once in a while you take a look at some of these emails and it's just like ridiculous shit. Like they were going to leak a picture of Bernie Sanders naked, you know, like, or in a bathing suit, you know, sunbathing. And they were thinking about leaking it to the New York Post. Do I think that's like a smoking gun or salacious? No, I think it's just kind of funny and like, it's interesting to see how these campaigns operate behind the scenes, how they speak. And honestly, the language that they use is just like, it's just insane that these are the people that are so high up in, in government or whatever that, that talk like this. You know, and then, you know, what stood out to me was this speech that she's giving to, uh, a, you know, trade union members and saying that, you know, environmentalists come up to her at, at rallies and say, will you di- divest from fossil fuel companies and stop taking their money? And behind the scenes, she said that these people should get a life. I mean, again, that is just not the type of person that I want to lead the country that I live in. Right. Uh, I think, you know, it just gives you a behind the scenes look. We don't, you know, whether it's Russia or not, that's a separate issue. I think, you know, just looking at the contents of these emails, people can make their own assumptions. I don't think they should be dismissed and just, you know, I, I, you turn on CNN, every, every Clinton surrogate just says, well, you shouldn't even be talking about these emails because they're coming from Russia and they're trying to influence our election. You know, that's a separate issue. Let's actually respond to the content of what we're seeing here and how kind of disturbing a lot of it is. A lot of it is, but it's kind of like you said, it's on the one hand, you've got some very disturbing stuff that's been revealed, like the Citibank email that was sent that outlined who should be in Obama's cabinet, and a lot of those people found their way into Obama's ca- cabinet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hard to kind of really argue too much with that. I think Jordan, you know, he takes the interpretation that, look, look right here. You can see that right from word one, Obama's administration was bullshit, and they were never interested in anything progressive. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I'll argue with that is, you're probably right, but this is the biggest game in politics. Of course, it's going to take a really long time to evolve. 
and they only bring in people they're comfortable with. I mean, Bernie never had a shot. And we are seeing that, you know, certain people in certain fields that you would think are interested in this election are very fucking interested in this election. And they do take the time to email John Podesta and suggest what they want out of the administration. What's really disturbing is that Podesta just flips around and says, sure, Mm -hmm. here you go. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do all of that. I have no. Go ahead, please. Yeah, and I would also say that the media is part of that as well. I mean, what we're seeing right now is really a relationship between the Clinton campaign and mainstream media that, you know, just by any standards, this should not be how politics and media operates, that they are so intertwined, you know, that Donna Brazile is getting a question and then leaking it to the Clinton campaign and then denies it and blames it on Russia. And like, like this is just <laughs> they are too intertwined. This is not healthy for democracy. Um, you know, there's a Princeton University study that came out months ago that says that the United States is more like an oligarchy than a democracy. And I think this is one, you know, besides the financial aspect of so much wealth being held in such a, a small amount of families. It's also the media consolidation and merging with the government in ways that I think gave us the Iraq war, you know, and I think Jordan has tapped into that a little bit. You know, there were no weapons of mass destruction. Our government does lie to us. So I think all he's doing is trying to just like wake people up and say, you know, you don't have to believe everything you hear. You don't have to get your news from CNN. There are other ways to get your news and process it. And it's better to be awake than not awake. Not only that, but here's our tools. We have the tools. Um, it takes a lot of effort. That's that's why th- these really simple narratives get spun out there, right? Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of effort to be informed. It takes a lot of effort to be woke. And you have to be able to hold A, B, C, D, and Y in your head at one time. You can't just sit there and kind of hold this ignorant default position anymore. Um, so I understand why people are turned off to it. The kind of question I have about that whole wiki, the whole WikiLeaks controversy, does it matter to you? Would it matter to you if Russia was behind it? If Russia, if Russian operatives had actually stolen these documents, would it matter at all? Oh, of course. I mean, we don't want any foreign government to be influencing or interfering with our election. Um, And there needs to be an appropriate response if that is indeed the case. But, you know, if I'm turning on CNN and there's a, 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 you know, a Democratic operative on the channel, I'd rather hear them address the con. This is why people are so turned off to politics, why they get so pissed off, because they see these people, these politicians or surrogates on their TV that won't answer questions that just deflect or just bash the other campaign. No one wants to take responsibility for their own mistakes or the truth. And that's why people, I think, especially young people, are so turned off by this election because they look at this and they think this isn't right. Like, I don't want to. They're not watching CNN. They don't have TVs. They all know that this is all baloney and bullshit, which is why they are looking for outlets that they can trust. You know, the, the level of trust in this country for the media is at, I think, an all time low. I think the last poll was like at nine percent of the of the country trust the media. You know, I was at uh, one of the last debates in in St. Louis and outside of the debate, there is a free public expression zone that they have on the Wash U campus every year at the debate 
where everyone, anyone can come and protest. So you had, I did a live stream from there. You had Green Party people, you had Libertarians, you had anti-Trump people, you had Trump people, you had the Fight for 15, you had every kind of sector of protest group right now, all in one space. And I went around and I asked people, you know, how do you feel about the media? Because as someone who now works in the media, I come from this at a different angle because I'm not a lifelong media person. So it's very funny when, you know, Jordan and I see see each other at these debates. We kind of look at each other. We look around the room at all these like, you know, mostly establishment media types. And we think like, this is just crazy. Like we're the youngest people here by far. We are, and we're very outside of what's happening. And they, these people really do live in a bubble. And I think it's important that we now to look to more authentic sources of news outlets. And one of the answers that I kept getting when I asked people, how do you feel about the media? They say, I, I hate the media, I don't trust it. And then I would follow up by saying, so where do you get your news? Where do you want to get your news? And I'd say at least 50% of the people I asked said, they took out their cell phones and they said from this, when I see people posting videos, they want their news now directly from their fellow citizens. That's the level of distrust that they have for corporate media. Um, and, and, and rather than uh, take responsibility for that, corporate media would rather just like continue playing the ratings game and not address the issue that Trump actually has tapped into a great deal. I mean, you go to his rallies, he talks about the media and how much the, you know his audience hates the media and they love it, they eat it up because there's a real, uh, they just, they, they're not happy with their media right now. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a fucking Pandora's box though, man. I mean, look, the simple fact is the media, when I look at like, quote unquote, the corporate media, yeah, sure. If we, if we watch, if we turn on CNN right now, we'd probably see a panel with like three surrogates from each side and yada, yada, yada. And they both be bullshitting each other and spinning everything into oblivion. It's just not that interesting a format. The producers are comfortable with it. They know exactly what they're going to get. They know how much they have to pay every time, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But they do basically just report the story outside of those talking head spheres, the zero hedges of the world, the Breitbarts. These are the guys that are bullshitting. I, don't, I, I mean, put it to you this way. After I got attacked, Trump went on Stephanopoulos and he said, oh, you know, this guy's a professional agitator. He was dragging the American flag on the ground. He assaulted and insulted the guy that hit him and blah, 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 and slandered me in all sorts of fun ways. Stephanopoulos didn't really give him that pushback, though he did a little bit. Within 30 minutes, Zero Hedge had multiple articles up quoting Trump as a fact source about me. And they were saying, oh, this guy is a professional agitator. He goes to all his rallies. They literally took all the things Trump said, turned them into facts, and put them in a story. That story got shared millions of times, and real quickly the narrative became on that side of things. Sanders is a professional agitator played by George Soros. He uh, was wearing a KKK hood. He was dragging the American flag on the ground. He called the guy the N-word, and etc. All that was bullshit. CNN didn't go with any of that. Now, for the first 12 or 18 hours, they were reporting a lot of wild bullshit, but basically speaking, the, the big outlets, they work hard to actually get their facts like basically correct. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I'm by no means am I saying that CNN is, is Breitbart. That is just like, you know, right. I think there is like the bottom of the barrel, which is Breitbart and whatever else on, the, on that level. 
you know, and then there's kind of like the middle of the road, which is CNN and MSNBC and, you know, obviously Fox is, you know, the other side of, of the of the political sphere. But, you know, I'm just saying we can have higher standards than this. And I think, um, you know, people owe it to themselves to get their news from better places. There are better places to get your news. I think CNN largely will cover you know, the horse race of the election rather than the actual issues that are impacting people. And, you know, I don't fault them for all of that because they're dealing with two very polarizing candidates and they're dealing with Trump. But you know what? I give them a, some credit for, for creating Trump. I mean, I think even now uh, the head of CNN has admitted that, you know, when Trump first announced and was doing all of these rallies, they were covering every single fucking rally. You know, and, you know, there were nights in the primary where Bernie would be making a speech and they would rather just keep an empty podium of Trump. You know, he wasn't even speaking and they would just hold the, the shot on the fucking empty podium of Trump while Bernie is making a speech to thousands of people. So, you know, you have to fault them for a lot of this. Um, I think their number one priority is ratings. It's not informing the American people. And then I think there are news organizations where the priority really is you know, you can use news to change the world. You know, if you inform people in the right way, you give them the tools uh, to make informed decisions. You know, people are obviously voting for Trump for a reason because our culture has been incredibly dumbed down. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to blame for that, our education system, the economic situation. But the media has to take some responsibility here. And I'm grateful that I work at a news organization that, you know, allows me to report on issues that I care about. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm happy with where I am and wherever it takes me. <clears throat> the uh, most absurd trope about journalism and media to me coming at this as somebody just like you who got into this kind of on the back of a napkin had really no plans. I was running this podcast called Live on Tape. It was going okay, all mm -hmm. centered here, just culture and arts and blah, blah, blah. But I had no notion that right now I'd be sitting here kind of being a Trump chaser and certainly turning American Babylon hopefully into something that is more like now this or Vice that is going to do news and culture, but from a like down here in Tucson, Arizona, Southwest, Mexico kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Coming at this as somebody who is not in the news, but who avidly watches this shit and always has, the worst trope in journalism, and it's kind of infuriating now being like some kind of self-fashioned journalist is, well, you know, the media is supposed to be objective. Look, that's ridiculous. The, the media is not supposed to lie to you. They aren't supposed to give you facts that they claim are facts that are either made up or distorted or they choose not to report or etc. Or like uh, James O'Keefe, where I say to you, uh, I stopped beating my wife last week. I'm never going to beat my wife again. And he edits it to make it look like I beat my wife, beat my right. wife again. You're not right. supposed to edit like that. You're not right. supposed to distort the facts. But outside of that, look, uh, Armand Abram is a human being who has his preferences. He knows that he doesn't want Donald Trump to be president. He knows that Donald Trump has threatened his livelihood as a journalist, has said that his profession is corrupt, that he's going to reopen you know, the libel laws. He's threatened all kinds of institutions in this country. There's a lot of reasons why Armand Abraham might not want Donald Trump to be president personally. Oh. 
And yeah, of, of course. course, those things are part of you, part of your reporting, and they should be. We're not mm-hmm. paying Don Lemon to become a non-black, non-gay man. We want those perspectives in our in the delivery of our news. This sure. kind of shibboleth of Walter Cronkite. Well, all right, let's look at Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite was an old, uh, well-heeled wasp who everybody could trust because the person that you trusted the most at that time was the old, well-heeled wasp. We don't have that particular fetish anymore. But this idea that somehow as journalists we're supposed to not be human beings is bullshit. It's naive, and it just isn't helping us with our understanding of why the media reports in a certain way or doesn't report in a certain way. Yeah, I think what people are really looking for from their journalists, at least from a lot of young people, um, is courage. And I think the uh, you know seeing journalists that are willing to stand up for what they believe in, and I think that's why Jordan has been developing a fan base for himself so quickly, because they see that he is fearless in his coverage. He's not going to cower because, trust me, when you go out on a limb the way that he does in his reporting, there is a lot of backlash. I mean, he has showed tweets where, you know, other journalists are accusing him of working for the Russians or whatever, you know. So it is not easy to be a fearless journalist. And those are the ones that I've always been inspired by. And, you know, you mentioned Walter Cronkite. I mean, people really respected him because he was willing to tell the American people the truth about the Vietnam War. So I think the American people recognize when they're being told the truth, um, hopefully, you know, obviously a lot of people, you know, believe a lot of bullshit, but I think smart people in this country really appreciate when they're being told the truth. Um, And I think that goes a long way. And I think there's no other way to develop trust and credibility with your audience um, other than to do what, you know, someone like Jordan is doing, which is showing them that he is not going to stop reporting what needs to be reported and not give in to the ratings bonanza or just doing stuff that everyone else is doing or doing what's going to get the most views all the time. You know, and, and now this is something that I think about and I'm sure the company thinks about because we get a lot of views on a lot of different stuff. And so, you know, and that's part of what drives a company in many different ways. So you always have to consider, well, are we just going to continue only going after the views or are we going to try to report what really matters? And do those two things hopefully intersect? You know, so the way that I view it is how can I report stuff that matters to me that's really important, but also make it, you know, digestible for this generation and how people consume media, being realistic about how people consume media, which is, you know, people just don't have a lot of time in their day to consume media. So I'm always thinking, how can I get the most important information to this person's brain in this, the least amount of time as possible? Um, and that's where, you know, I think my approach with now this comes and, you know, maybe that'll change over time. We might experiment or my, I might experiment with doing different ways of, uh, you know, getting the news out to people. But I think at the core, at the base of it is I'm more concerned with informing people than entertaining people. And I think there are a lot of people in journalism that maybe get into it for the wrong reasons or just see it as a way to, you know, somewhat entertain people rather than see it as a job uh, or a trade that is very important and vital to the, the country moving forward and progressing. It's also true that you can get a shit, you can get great ratings by reporting the truth and by being fearless. Um, Jordan is exploding because people see him as this young, badass motherfucker who knows what he's doing, knows the players involved here in a very intimate way, probably 
can email Donna Brazil if he wants to, but chooses not to play the kind of access game. I think Glenn Thrush from Politico did a lot of damage to himself uh, when it was revealed that he was willing to give John Podesta basically the entire story and let him be his editor. That I mean, that kind of shit. And from Politico too, you kind of look at that and go, Jesus Christ, have you got? Are you guys serious over there? Like why? And then of course the benefits you get out of something like that are so ephemeral. I mean, yeah. like trading your reputation as a journalist or whatever it is for just one little thing from one little morsel from John Podesta just seems so stupid. Um, it seems yeah. so short-sighted. Yeah, and I also think it's a side effect of the Clinton campaign. I think when you have a politician or a political campaign that operates that way, that encourages a close relationship with the media, you rope in a lot of journalists that are just kind of get sucked into it, that don't necessarily want this to be the way it is, right. but are just playing the game because that otherwise you're not in the game at all. So, you know, I, I also will give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, it's hard when you want to get access, when you want to get interviews, when you want to be like involved. Sometimes you have to do shit like that. Um, but I think it matters more just like your approach to reporting the news and being an independent voice and not always just like doing what everyone else is doing. Um, and that, uh, you know, my that's how my feeling has been. Like, I don't need to report on every goddamn thing Trump does because everyone else is already doing that. Right. You know, and I think Jordan has talked about that as well. It's like, yeah, I know that Trump is a horrible human being. I don't need to be reporting on that every five seconds. There's other shit. And everyone else is already doing a fantastic job investigating Trump. I don't want to spend my entire day investigating him. He's a vile human being. I already know that. And it's kind of boring for me. I'd rather dig into to like stuff that matters more. I don't know. You know, I, I get that. You know, I understand how much he matters um, and how horrible he is. But I, there's other stuff to report as well. There definitely is. I mean, for me, it's kind of like it's going to be a personal triumph when he loses. And I don't I definitely have followed it so closely for a lot of that reason, to be quite honest. Like it is kind of selfish. I do want to help defeat him and I want to follow through on defeating him. I also want him to lose really badly. Um, I don't think it's enough for him just to kind of squeak by and lose. I think he should get destroyed, even though Hillary has a lot of problems. She's a reasonable human being. Um, so on that note, I mean, we're 43 minutes and 33 seconds into this interview. It's been fucking fabulous. I hope you'll come back again. I'm going to do a lot oh, more of these. Yeah, that's it. What do you, where are you off to next or what are you going to focus on? I'm really kind of depressed that I'm not up in North Dakota. Yeah, that's actually uh, what I was just discussing with a, a colleague of mine, um, another producer on our art who works for the main page. Uh, the two of us have really been um, pushing to cover that story as much as possible at Standing Rock. Um, I've done a number of videos about it. Uh, Jill Stein was there. She got arrested. Uh, I did a video about Bernie Sanders holding a rally. Uh, in D.C. calling on Obama to uh, ordering him to have a comprehensive environmental review of the pipeline. That video got a few million views. Um, What's just the status on that? Didn't they actually order something like that? Didn't the administration step in temporarily? Well, yeah, they had a temporary halt to construction, but then a federal appear, uh, appeals court uh, just you know ruled against that. So as far as I know, the pipeline is going forward uh, and they are trying to complete it by January 2017. 
And I'm just encouraging, you know, not journalists even, just friends of mine, uh, people that I know care about humanity and care about the environment and care about just basic human decency, to know what's going on, to understand what's going on, and to care. I think there's just like so many people that are so turned off by the election and so turned off to the idea of even caring about the news that stuff like this doesn't seem to resonate with just like average people who are going about their day because it doesn't really affect them. You know, they're not living in North Dakota. They're not near the Missouri River. So it's not their water that's going to be polluted. But it's this involves all of us. Um, and I think everyone needs to care about what's going on. And at the very least, you can just uh, follow the news on this story. I'm not saying you have to go there. I mean, it'd be great if people did. Um, or donate your time or money. That would also be great. But this is a story that impacts us all um, because this is where the fight is happening against corporate greed. And this may come to our backyard soon enough. So, you know, you're going to have to care about this eventually. Um, you know, so I would love to go there. As far as right now, it's just, you know, covering the election. Uh, I'm off on Friday. So, you know, it's always nice when I have a mental break because I, I, I would say that, you know, covering this election has had a very uh, strenuous mental and physical toll. I think probably on every journalist, you know, not just at now this, um, there have been a few of us that have been sick, you know, the past week getting sick or, you know, calling in sick because, uh, you know, it takes its toll. We were traveling a lot from the debates and I think just mentally uh, it's a lot to process and I think you know, sometimes I think that ignorance would be bliss in this in this situation because uh, there's just so much going on that is very uh, disturbing uh, on both sides, and it's very. I'm very worried about what's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks. Um, in terms of, you're worried that there might be violence. Yeah, I mean. I do believe, I mean, look, this FBI investigation today, I mean, I, I do believe that if Hillary Clinton wins, there's going to be a lot of people in this country that are going to be more than unhappy. Like they are going to be, you know, ready to maybe get violent. I hope not. And I, I feel, you know, I don't even really want to say that, but we have to confront the reality of the situation, which is that they, there are a lot of people in this country that have a visceral anger towards her. Um, for a variety of reasons, whether they're warranted or not. We have to all deal with that. And on the other side, obviously, if Trump wins, I mean, people are going to be really fucking flipping out. So we are kind of fucked here. And uh, I hope that somehow out of this election, we have some kind of purge here of all of the worst of America. We can get it out of our system and move forward and come together and heal in a way that uh, moves us forward as a country. I'm trying to stay optimistic. I encourage you to do so. I used to go to a bar called North on 4th here in Tucson, and they used to have fights all the time. There would be these huge fights, and people would get stabbed, and there was always cops, there were shootings. Eventually, they closed the bar down, and everybody who had been at that bar fighting for years went to other bars on the street, and they started fighting there. Eventually, they stopped fighting there, and they just kind of went away. And Trump is the North on 4th for America. He has brought together and kind of shown a light on this whole sewer of, of bullshit that is kind of in people's gut in this country. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, man. I go kind of back and forth about the violent, like whether or not there will be violence. I tend to think 
that most people nowadays are, you know, willing to say things on Facebook that they're not willing to say in person. I know for a fact that most people that, you know, claim to be so in, intently focused on Trump winning and invested in Trump are kind of lazy. They really only want to watch Netflix. And I'm not trying to slag them off. It just is what it is. Most people are not going to commit political violence. I think m the most you're going to get here is a couple of shootings. I know that sounds horrible. I don't think anybody's going to do any Timothy McVeigh style craziness. No. But it, it is impossible to predict. And definitely, um, you know, Trump's presence in this election has created a situation where I think you would see, you know, it, it's kind of ripe for that. Yeah, this is not a normal election. And I do believe that a lot of his supporters, a lot of them probably feel like they got nothing left to lose. And he has uh, preyed on people's fears in a way that we've never seen a politician do to the point where I think probably many of his supporters feel like they have their entire lives invested into him winning. And I think they would be more than devastated. I think it will be just pure anger and rage because they feel like this is their last chance to have a life. And without him, maybe, I don't know if they feel like life is, is worth living. When, when you have a lot of people that feel that way, you know, that's, that's pretty dangerous. Uh it's unbelievably disturbing to think that someone would like feel their life wasn't worth living because of Donald Trump's like non-presence in it. But I get what you're saying. I just watched his speech in, in North in New Hampshire. These people love him. You've been I to mean, the rallies, right? Yeah. They, they love him and they have all of their hopes and dreams with him. Uh, and they don't feel like America will ever be great again if they don't elect him. So I don't know what the consequences of them losing that hope is. We just don't know. On that note, uh, I have a modest proposal for us going forward. Trump is a virus that's being left to the American people by old citizens, right? Like by and large, if you look at the stats. Yeah. So I think, and I'm saying this only like one quarter of the way in jest, <clears throat> that what we should do is 18-year-olds should get a 1.0 vote. So that's a full vote. You got a full one when you get 18, that's it. By the time you're 35, you're down to like 0.9. By the time you're 50, you're down to like 0.6. And, and by the time you're 75, you have like half a vote. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just moving into another room here. Oh, go um, ahead. Yeah, I was I was just going to say that I think what's been the most optimistic thing and positive thing for me out of this whole thing has been looking at young people. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people have been inspired by that, this campaign, um, just to see how involved they want to be and how they don't want to lay down and how uh, active and informed all of them are. Uh, that's where the hope is relationship that I can have with young people as a media person um, and try to develop trust with them. I think that's really important. There is hope there. And it's also true. I really, we'll leave it on this note, I think, which is that I think what's really cool about these fucking young people is they're not interested in eventual change. They want legalized marijuana now. They want, yeah. of course, their gay friends should be able to do whatever the fuck they want because it's ridiculous that they wouldn't be. They're not interested in eventual change, which I find to be inspiring. And that's definitely what I'm interested in. And, you know, who knows, maybe Hillary, it's just like they said about Trump, you say he's a racist, he's going to blow up the planet, but maybe he won't. 
Maybe Hillary will get into the White House and surprise us all. She'll unzip her face, and Al will step Bernie Sanders, and he'll go, ta-da! <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Armand Avram of Now This Election, thank you so much for speaking with us uh, here at American Babylon. And I guess the last thing I'll ask you, what's the over-under on the total number of electoral votes that Trump will receive? Oh, what's, boy. What's the line? Do you think he gets to 100, 150, 180? I am not going to make a prediction just based purely on news that we had today. I just think, I think it's so unpredictable that yeah. I really have no idea. I have no idea. Well, that's I don't. I don't want him to win. <laughs> I have no idea, but I don't want him to win is the theme of the entire country right now. You know? <laughs> Thank so, you, yeah. Armand. I really appreciate it. Everybody go to Now This Election. Thanks, check out Armand's interview with Bernie, which he's been posting in little snippets. It's absolutely fantastic, and you should be paying attention to him. If you're not, you're doing it wrong. Thank you, Armand. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you.